Welcome to the Help for Wounded Spirits. This podcast exists to reach those wounded and suffering through life's trials. And now your host, Dr. Doug Carriger. back with you folks and have my co-host Stephanie Wesco with me. Good morning, Stephanie. How are you feeling this morning? Doug, I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. Well, just for, just for uh, to, full disclosure, <clears throat> I want to let you know that I'm looking at Stephanie and she's just lost maybe 10 pounds or something. She's on this, uh, this health kick along with me. I went first. She followed behind and uh, we got health coaches. I mean, God's doing a work through uh, this particular plan we're on, and and we're getting uh, we're getting to see a little bit of the loss there, so we're happy about that. But you know, Stephanie, as we go into this 152nd podcast, uh, we're in the Book of Job, and I had mentioned this to Stephanie earlier that the Book of Job is bringing us down, it's bringing some of you down, but we think it's altogether necessary. We think it's very important that we do this. We think that uh, you know maybe maybe. The most important thing is to look at people in the Bible who've been through great trials who can, mm-hmm. and who've come out the other side. And, and I got to tell you, if you know, as a preacher, as a layman, as anybody, uh, once you've uh, once you've experienced what Job has experienced, once you've been through that, it helps us get where we're going, Stephanie. It helps take us to that good place. And I mean, what do you think about what we're doing in Job, Stephanie? And uh, and what do you think about it? I think right now we're in the dark place of Job's trial. And so as we go through this, the chapters we're in right now, it feels like we're on the kind of on a roller coaster that's staying in a bad place. And... Um, you know, there's a reason God put this book in the Bible. Um, as we're going through it, it's like, wow, just you see so many comparisons for what people with trials go through today. And um, I think that's why God put it here. And I just we have to keep remembering that the end of the story is written and the end of the story is awesome. And the yeah. end of the story is as awesome as it gets. So here we are. We're in chapter 18. <coughs> Excuse me. We've been through so much, and uh, uh, we're in chapter 18. Chapter 16, we actually wrote a song. We wrote two songs. One song is garnering more attention from Stephanie than the other, uh, but we wrote two songs uh, since we've been in the book of Job. (laughs) We wrote a worship song, and then we wrote another one out of 16, and uh, the pleads of Job. And But here we are, we're in chapter 18, and that's what God's Word does. You know, He gives you a song, Stephanie. He gives us something. It, it, You know, I can't emphasize enough to you folks out here listening, be in the Word of God in the morning. Uh, you know, daily in the Word of God, I think daily in the Word is, uh, uh, is, I get it every morning. It's out there. There's a website, Daily in the Word. It's part of West Coast Baptist College. Paul Chapel sends it out as a devotion every single morning. That includes the Bible reading you should have that day. It includes a devotion. Be in God's Word, man. It, it gives you a song for your day, though you may not uh, literally sit down and write a song. Figuratively, your heart will be jumping. God will be within your heart, and things will be going good. So if you're in that bad place, if you're in that dark place that Stephanie just talked about, Job is a dark place. And some of us are in the dark place, and some of us go in and out of the dark place. And uh, for more full disclosure, Stephanie's working with a young lady right now, and 
Uh, she's just going through the trials. And we ask you, if you would just pray, God knows her name, God knows where she at, where she's at, what she's going through. And actually, Stephanie's working with a lot of ladies. But there's one young lady in particular that we would seek prayer for. And, and uh, so pray for the young lady, and God knows her name, please. But here we are. She's going through Job-like testing. Here we are. It's like Eliphaz uh, is in her house. But here we go with Bildad. Now, Bildad is a total jerk, all right? Let's just be upfront about Bildad. You know, these guys just grow on each other. But I was, in the beginning, I made this statement, and I'm sticking with it. We're too hard on Mrs. Job, and we're too hard on Job's friends because they did show up. They've done some things. Well, my position has changed now that we're exergetically going through the book of Job and seeing just what knuckleheads these people are. We're not too hard on his friends. But they did wait around seven days. Uh, I don't know. Then entered Bildad is what the Bible says in chapter 18 of the book of Job, verse number one. Then entered Bildad the Shuhite and said, How long will it be ere ye make an end of words? Mark, and afterwards we will speak. Wherefore, are we counted as beasts and reputed vile in your sight? He teareth himself in his anger. Shall the earth be forsaken for thee? And shall the rock be removed out of this place? Yeah, though the light of the wicked shall be put out, the spark of his fires shall not shine. The light shall be dark in the tabernacle, and his candle shall be put out with him. The steps of his strength, and I, I whenever I turn the page, you guys... We'll hear my page turning going on here, and they're stuck together. Uh, shall be straightened, and his consul shall be cast him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walketh upon a snare. The jinn shall take him by the heel, and the robber shall prevail against him. The snare is laid for him in the ground, and the trap for him in the way. Terror shall make him <clears throat> excuse me, afraid on every side, and shall drive him to his feet. His strength shall be hunger-bitten. His destruction should be ready at his side. It shall devour the strength of his skin, and even the firstborn death uh, shall devour his strength. His confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle, and it shall bring him to the king of terrors. It shall dwell in the tabernacle, because it is none of his brainstone shall be scattered upon the habitation. His, route, his roots shall be dried up beneath, and above shall his branch be cut off. His remembrance shall perish from the earth, and he shall have no name in the street. He shall be driven from the light of darkness and be chased out of this world. He shall neither have son nor nephew among his people, nor any remaining in his dwellings. They that come after him shall be astonished at this day, as they that went before were frightened. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, this place of him that knoweth not God. Man, I mean Bildad, Stephanie. Bildad shows up on the scene. And if anybody can get more rude, if anybody can be less of a friend, if anybody can be more of a knucklehead, if anybody can slap him around, and, and it goes right. You know what kills me is Bildad uh, at the end of that. You know, uh, he goes on at the end of that, the way it ended, and uh, he says, surely you're in the dwellings of the wicked. So he's, he's saying, Job, you're in with the wicked. You're in the dwellings of the wicked. And, and he, just, he just bangs along. He, he argues, again, this law of retribution. We see it over and over again in the Old Testament of the Bible. And, 
and Bill Dad thinks he's more spiritual. And, and, and friends, we've met a lot of people who think they're more spiritual. And there's probably not a lot worse in life than being around people who think they're more spiritual than everybody else on God's green earth. But what I'm trying to make the practical side of this this morning, what Stephanie and I are trying to do is look at this and understand the wickedness that's been espoused and what the wickedness is causing. So with that, Stephanie, what say you about Bildad the Shuhite and uh, him pointing toward Job as being wicked, no good, a knucklehead, those types of things? Yeah. Well, I think um, Bildad isn't even... So Eliphaz, you know, on this round two of attacks against Job, Yeah. the mask continues to come off. And Bildad just straightforward is telling Job, you're wicked. And it's almost at this, he literally in that last verse says that Job doesn't know God. Yeah. And so the, the, the summary of this whole chapter is him describing almost, it's almost like he's trying to approach this from a, someone who's a scorner, a reprobate, you know, how God treats the worst of mankind. Yeah. Well, dad's perspective. And that's where he's put Job. As literally a wicked, evil, proud, arrogant man who does not know God. That's his summary of Job in this chapter. And, and what a terrible summary. It's just not true. And, yeah. you know, he's blistering them. I mean, look at those words starting in uh, verse number 5 through 21. He's just, he's just blistering away. I don't know about you, but it feels like his friends continue to get worse. I mean, yep. I, yep. Yeah. Most definitely. What do you think their end game is here? Why do you think they're getting worse? Or you think they're they're just being uh, babies? Or do you think there's an end game here of some sort? Well, in my interaction with narcissists, I have found that their end game is to control you and mind play with your mind. Um, and they're play, trying to play every mind game they can on Job. And as I've said before. We know Job was perfect, upright, one who eschewed evil, feared God, walked with God. I mean, God pointed him out to shave to to Satan and said, "Hast thou considered my servant Job?" Um, he was God's servant. God God called him by that name, but Job's what the Bible calls his three friends were narcissists, and I would I, you know we don't get. We don't get any history here no. on where that friendship originated, where these guys Job grew up with. You know, what's the history with all that? We don't we don't know. But I'm convinced that in their minds, long before Job went through this tragedy, he was a tool to them. Yeah. They, they the, the relationship was not one of mutual friendship. They call Job called them his friends, yeah. but these were not. They did not consider Job a friend. Um, when he went through this loss, they came and sat and looked at him, um, and were coming up. Honestly, it was like they spent those seven days coming up with their theory as to why this happened, and were convinced. You know, came to convincement in their minds of of the cause, and then just started blasting him, and. Um, the yeah. mask. I think there was. I think there was deep-seated jealousy, envy, um, control mindset, whatever. Long before Job went through this tragedy, 
Um, I don't think this just started after Job. The stuff they're spewing at him. Yeah. This is loaded. I mean, I don't think this just originated in that. No. In that seven days of them sitting there quietly. No, no. And I, I think they're upset. Uh, in 1710, Job said there were no wise men to be found. And, and you yeah. know, you can go back. And I, I've got things written in my books here. So I wrote down 12, 2, 13, 4, and 5, 16, 2, and 3, and 17, 10 is where Job just attacks back and tells these guys essentially what I said coming out of the chute. These guys are knuckleheads. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I think, and boy, I think you just really hit the nail on the head. But he's upset. And, you know, honestly, if someone's dying, uh, they got a, in my mind, they get a special sense of grace for me. So, I no, mean, I could go to, yeah, I can go to the hospital and hold someone's hand. And they can say, you know, Doug, the way you drove your car, the way you sang too loud in church, the, the way you did this, it stunk. And I'm like, you know, the dude's dying. Uh, I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to argue back. You know, there's something bad happening here. And, and, and I think, I think they're indignant by what Job had to say about them. I feel like this is something that they're trying somehow to swipe back at Job. They're trying, they're trying somehow to, uh, in a way, I guess, make Job say, you know, rue the day that he messed with them. Uh, Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's, I think, I think you hit the big picture here of Job had the nerve in their mind. Job had the nerve to stand up for himself. Yeah. And I, and I think, yeah. And I think that's the nerve that people listening to this radio station need to have. Sometimes you're going to be alone with, with people who are attacking people who are blissfully attacking, you know, just blistering attacks. Like we saw over here in chapter 18 from Bildad. We've seen it from Eliphaz. We've seen it from Zophar. We've seen it from all these different guys. You know, you, sometimes you just have to get away from these people and, and yeah. sometimes, you know, if you're able now, Job is in a bad place. He's got the boils, the sores, the he's he's sitting there in a heap learning what he can from God. And I'll tell you, I think some of the greatest classrooms I've set in with God are those classrooms I've set in in trials. Yeah. Uh, I think those are some of the greatest uh, classrooms I've ever set in. And and, you know, so I, I guess if we get anything that we want you to go on, I want to read a poem today. I want to spend some time with you talking about a couple questions that came in. But I want to make sure that uh, that Stephanie and I are really putting what's what's on our heart here. And I, I think what's on my heart, and I'll give Stephanie a chance to comment on this, is you're going to have egocentric, narcissistic, uh, know-it-all, most spiritual people in your life. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they're going to hurt you, and they're going to say things to you. And, and your feelings and your well-being is not going to be their priority. So, so what do they do, Stephanie, when you have that egomaniac, you have that know-it-all, you have that blistering Bildad or, or Jildad or whoever may be in your life trying to mess you over, uh, what do we do? When you're dealing with it, um, it depends if you're dealing with it as an adult or you're dealing with it as a child. Um, it's a very different scenario if, you, if you're a child and you have a parent that, that's, that is that way. Um, in that case, I would say seek help um, and reach out for help to those that you can tr- trust. Um, be prudent. If you're an adult and you're in a situation like this, get away from the person. Yeah. Just separate from them. Um, th- this world has enough stress factors. The last stress factor you need in your life is someone 
who views you as a rug they can walk on. And Hallelujah. Yeah. Get away from them. Just separate, make a clean break, and live a normal life. And, and listen, just again, with, with all disclosure, listen, Stephanie's kids have been abused by younger narcissistic attitudes and 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 so we've experienced this just recently i mean this this goes on and what you do with it says everything about your character and, and let me say this to you parents out there that may have teenagers or children dealing with uh, a narcissist or somebody like a build dad in their life that just blisters away your kids hear every word yeah uh, not only are you being damaged your kids are being damaged yeah. and and you need to stop it you know you mm -hmm. just uh, we, you need to stop allowing that to happen. Well, and I, I think a huge thing, too, um, if you have children that are being abused, verbally abused by a narcissistic person, you need to nip that in the bud. Yeah. Your what did Andy say? Andy? No, no, it wasn't Andy. Andy Sheriff. Uh, Barney. Barney. Barney yes. You need to nip, nip, nip it in the bud. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, we're going to. Yeah, don't let your kids, do not let yeah. your kids be verbally abused by someone else. You know, if you have to, get it, keep them away from that person, whatever it takes. Listen, our kids have one chance to be a kid. They have yep. one chance to grow up and, and, and life sure stinks. You know, if I had one solid thing in my life, one solid thing for many, many years, and that was my mother. And then later on in my life, my stepfather showed up on the picture. Our father had deserted us. But my stepfather showed up on the picture in the picture and was a second solid thing, but it was very slow in, in happening. You know, mom was very reserved about letting someone else in. But I'll tell you, man, if I didn't have the solidness of them saying, those people are wrong, stop it, cut it out, uh, I could have been more messed up than a soup sandwich. And... Uh, and I, I think that, so, hey, I got a poem today. Uh, I got a poem from a missionary, a dear missionary friend of Debbie and I's. She's down in South America. Her, her name's Kim. She didn't give me permission, so I'm not going to give you her whole name. But she wrote a poem called Where God Is. And I'll ask her. She actually wrote a book. Uh, she has it out on Amazon uh, about searching for God. And she wrote here, Are you in a place where God is hiding from all you know him to be? I care for you, child, under my wing. I promise I'll never leave thee. I like that. It's what scripture says, yet when you read, its words become nothing but noise. Troubles overwhelming you, trials won't cease. You pray, but you have not a voice. You must press on. Hear me, O Father, incline ear, incline thine ear. Make your presence known unto me. Your word is so hollow, my prayers unavailing. Your spirit stopped moving in me. You wait for his answer, but there's no response. No spirit, no prayer, no word. Yet everyone says to read and pray, but he will help you. Of that be assured, but he's not. Yes, verily, he'll help you. Do not resign. Read, pray, and work faithfully. Ready yourselves for the day he restores. Faith and fellowship bountifully. How long must we wait? I can't bear to go on, but he'll carry you through. I highly doubt it. My frayed cord of faith has but one thread left. Until now, God's done nothing about it. Nothing, he's gone. Your faith nearly perished. You read one more time. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. God speaks the healing balm in his word, the restoration of fellowship welcome, hope renewing. Oh, Father, what happened? You were, why were you so hidden? 
I pleaded your help night and day. My child through your tears, I heard every pray. I was there every step of the way. When hope was unreachable, I interceded and wrapped my grace around you. Now you can walk in my ex excellent power. Sufficient grace carried you through. O strength, O strong shepherd, high above all nations, who giveth and giveth more grace. Have mercy upon me in thy love and kindness. From my wretched sin hide, the face, fellowship restored. Let the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace. As you walk in his glorious light, trust him steadfastly, rejoice in his truth, seek his face morning till night. The God of all grace and glory external makes you strong after that you have suffered. Thou art my shield, my hiding place. I ardently hope in thy word, stronger faith. So a friend of mine wrote this. She, she went through a trial in her life and uh, was wondering where God was in the trial. And she realized as that poem says he was right next to her. And God uses these trials. And, I, you know, I've mentioned to Stephanie just a moment ago, and I know we only got a couple minutes left, but I mentioned that the greatest classrooms I've ever been in dealing with, uh, with God, the greatest learning places I've ever been, the best places I've ever been are in those classrooms filled with trials. And what say you? Uh, take a minute or two, Stephanie, and what would you say about uh, feeling alone, feeling without God? I mean, obviously, that's where Job is. There are some out there saying, where's God? What would you say to him? This is where the eye of faith comes in. I love Hebrews 11.1 1, where Paul or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews said, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that keeping the faith is having that confident expectation in God. Yeah. And knowing that we, even though if we can't see him, we know that he lives he know, we know that he's taking care of us. We know that he has our record in heaven and that he is who our identity, in whom our identity lies. And um, I was just talking to one of my kids about this who was struggling and said, your identity is not based on what other people say about you. Yeah. Your identity is based in who you are in Jesus and in who he has made you to be and in the plan he has for your life. That's right. And... Job is going through the throes of having three narcissists sitting around him, telling him who he is and what it, what his identity is made of. And that isn't coming from God. And keep your eyes fixed to get through trials, to get through dealing with a narcissistic person. You must keep your focus on Christ and who he is in you and who you are in him. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And uh, I, I think as we wrap up today, if we get anything out of this, if anything comes from this chapter 18 of the book of Job, and God's word never returns void. So if there's any check mark that should be, maybe maybe God's word spoke to you about how people are treating you and you can't accept that anymore. Maybe God's word spoke to you uh, as Stephanie and I were talking about uh, what trials look like and how we can do our best learning and, and how we can grow from there. And uh, let me tell you something, folks, your trials, your the things you go through, the things you've lived through, uh, they're not your identity. Your identity is found in God. Thank God for that. Listen, folks, what a great day to come back and be with you. We pray that all of you have a great day. Just take a minute or so and listen to this important message. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. One of the more exciting things about our ministry is being able to tell people how they can know for sure they're saved 
and believe in Jesus Christ and spend eternity in heaven. The Bible tells us there's four things we need to know to be saved. The first thing it tells us is we're all sinners. The Bible says there are none righteous. It says that everybody in the world is a sinner. The second thing that the Bible teaches us is there's a price on sin. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. The third thing and the good news that the Bible teaches us today is it says, but God commendeth his love toward us while we were yet sinners before we were even born, Christ died for us. So we can know we're a sinner. We can know there's a price on sin, but thank God that Christ died for us. Then the Bible says we must speak it in our mouth and believe it in our heart that all we need to do is pray to God, believe it in our heart that Christ has died for our sins and ask him to save us in Jesus Christ's name. And you know what, folks? He will. If we can do anything to help you in that area, please send us a message. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening today. We hope this podcast has been a blessing in your life. For helpful resources and to help continue this podcast, visit us at woundedspirits.com. Dot com.